Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Alan. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Reggie Walker, U.S. Chief Commercial Officer for PricewaterhouseCoopers, or PwC. On the show today, we talk about marketing and sales and what it looks like at PwC, as well as the digital transformation that the company's been on for a few years now. We also talk about advice that Reggie has for others starting their own transformation efforts, as well as some of the future-oriented things like the future of professional services and where it's going, the impact of technology, and what he's hearing from clients in 2020 and beyond. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Reggie Walker. Reggie, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me on today. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm ha- happy to have you on. It looks, I wanted to start off with your career because it looks like you've spent, I think, about 27 years at PwC. And I always like to know what kept somebody at a company that long. Yeah, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. It almost feels, it's hard to believe it's been 27 years when I step back and think about that. It, it honestly feels like I just started yesterday. But, you know, I've had other people ask me the same question. In fact, when I go to meetings and I tell people I've been here 27 years, nowadays people look at me like I have three heads. It's a great organization and it's great in the sense that when you work for a company like PwC, where we're on the front line of business and we're on the front line of the trends that are coming and we have to remain ourselves up on all of those trends. And that's a lot of fun because we don't have the luxury of falling behind because our business is helping our clients take advantage of the trends that are coming if it's on the consultant. 
side, or we need to stay on top of current business issues and other parts of our business in order for us to be very effective, whether it's in our audit business or in our tax business. So it's it's an amazing place in that you're always constantly learning and you're always constantly learning something new, no matter what part of our business that you sit in. And the other thing that goes with that is because of the business that we're in, the talent that we're able to attract. And we're constantly reinventing ourselves with new talent coming in, with new skills and new energy. And so all of that lends itself to a lot of opportunity. You know, we every client engagement is a new opportunity for you, right? To learn something new, to work with somebody new, to work in a different environment or to work in a different industry. And so it's always something new. And so when I reflect on why I stayed here for so long, it's because one, it is a constantly evolving environment because we have to in order for us to stay relevant to our clients. It's one that attracts great talents. No matter what you're doing in any part of organization, you, you're assured that you're working with some of the best in the business and you learn so much from, from everyone around you. And the third part, I think, is this just a great culture. I mean, this is a very open, welcoming, accepting culture, and it's fun to be a part of this. So long-winded answer, but that's what's kept me here as long as it has. No, that's great. I'm assuming that you started off as a consultant or an accountant in practice working on client business. Is that right? That's right. I actually started in our audit business. My, my actual undergraduate degree is in accounting. And so I, like many people, started in the audit business. Got it. Okay. And as you progress through a professional services firm, I think there's probably these trigger moments, right? Where you go from doing the work to leading the work to selling the work. Were there any kind of pivotal mentors through through that history of your career track? That- yeah, many of them. And I would say there's been multiple pivot points and then multiple people who are instrumental in those points that I've gone along my career. So whether it was making the decision to move away from our core uh, audit practice and leverage the financial skills that I developed to moving into, at that time, systems consulting and doing more IT consulting because it was something I'd always been interested in coming out of college. But now I had a strong financial background and married it up with that to, you know, then taking that and making a decision to go back to graduate school and, and then hone those skills and move further on. There's always been like those multiple pivot points that I've been able to make. There's always been somebody along the way that has been mentoring me and guiding me to help me make the most informed decisions that I can make. Well, tell me about the role now as chief commercial officer for the U.S. What does that mean? What does that include? Yeah. So when we were looking at, and this is, it's been about three and a half years that I've been in this role coming up on four years. And when I came on the leadership team, we were looking at how do we best organize some of our functions to, to really, one, provide the most support, the best support to the business that we could. And then also then with that in mind, how do we, at least in this role, continue to help our partners grow the firm? And so we looked at it and we decided to pull together our sales organization, our marketing organization, our external communications or public relations organization. And we also have a creative agency and pull all of those together underneath one umbrella. And you can really think of it as this is the enabling organization whose job it is to help our firm grow. So whether it's through our committees that we've got in our sales organization and the sales capacity and support we provide to our teams, to our marketing organization and what we do to create the marketing activities that, that help us to advance the brand and, and create demand in the marketplace for the things that we do, all the way to our the very important role now that external communications is playing in the previous two things I mentioned but also in protecting our brand when we think about crises. And so that's the scope of the role and why we decided to bring it all together because all of those are related to helping us grow and protect Got it. Was there, I'm just curious going, I'm not sure your exact role before you took over this role in, in the last three, 
or so years. What was that transition like? Bringing one, it sounds like a new function, basically bringing all these groups together. What was was there a case to be made? Were you, or was this a new position that was created within the firm that you were kind of moving into? Yeah. So we had. So there was actually somebody previously in the role that was uh, what was similar. The only thing that's kind of changed is the scope and the scale of it has changed. I mean, we've grown these functions in scope and scale and kind of tried, you know, really bringing them together in a more close knit way than we had done before. My previous role was actually as a. I ran one of our large markets, uh, our Greater Atlanta marketplace, and so it was. It was really about bringing those skills that I had previously done, whether it was running a part of our advisory business from a market perspective or running a market and bringing those to bear and helping to transform this organization, which which did exist, but it needed to come together more cohesively. And, it, and by the way, it had been on a journey. It had been in, with each leader, it had been growing and improving and, and becoming more. And then it, it was my opportunity to take the great work that had been done for me, but now really bring it together in a more cohesive way so that we serve the market even more effectively than we had done in the past. Got it. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about like, what does marketing and sales look like at PwC? What does it include, the various components, if you will? Yeah. So if you, and, and each one is is a little bit unique, but all related, our sales organization is is fairly broad. I mean, it's a large organization and it's everything from our, what we, we call them client relationship executives, but our top level professional sales organization that works on a cross, what we call cross line or one firm basis across all of our lines of business mm-hmm. to build relationships on the ground with, with our clients, with our targets, and, uh, and then is brings through those services that we have that can help our clients meet the opportunities and the challenges that they've got in the market. And so that's their job and what they do. And it's the key to those relationships. They also have to know our business very well. They have to know what solutions we offer so that they can begin to marry those up. And that's what they do. We've got a, uh, we're growing, you know, as a firm and that we're getting more into the products business. So if you think about software products, because that's the direction that this industry is heading. So we've got people that are very adept and know how to sell products in the market, which is very different than selling services, right? And then we've got people that really operate in sales support. So everything from, you know, a pretty strong engine that helps with proposals and doing professional proposals that we need to that we need to do and creating those types of experiences to help us sell work differently than we may have done in the past. We've got people that support our account teams on the ground. So that's that's a sales organization. Our marketing organization is just as diverse. And you can think about marketing and we do it in multiple ways, whether it's what we call geo-marketing events or experiences on the ground, the ground that we create for our clients in a geography or our sector level marketing, because in our industry, sector knowledge and expertise is incredibly important. And so what are we doing in terms of helping to target those sectors and those industry groups to our lines of business and the marketing that we must do along our lines of business? So definitely multifaceted. And of course, our communications organization really mirrors all that because it is the way, it is the organization that helps us to communicate very effectively externally and takes many of the messages we create or that we need to create to help us from a firm in terms of growth. And so they're organized very similarly. So it's it's really organized along our business, which is geography and sector and line of business. And we support all of those. And we try to do it in a way so that when we get down to the most important unit, which is at our clients, it all comes across very, very seamlessly. So you don't see the duck paddling beneath the water. What you see is a very cohesive seamless organization that comes together at the client. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts for sure. And it sounds like your business has gotten even more complex with the, like you said, the addition of products and different organizations, not just the traditional professional services side. You mentioned transformation as well. And I want to understand, it sounds like you're leading a, a relatively large transformation initiative inside of PwC. And I'd love to 
hear a little bit more about that. Like, what does that look like? And how do you define what the transformation is? Yeah, so I think you're referring to the uh, massive, what I, I'd call digital transformation that we're undergoing as a, as a firm. And and to be clear, I'm, I'm one person on our leadership team, our entire leadership team is leading that, right, together. And we're leading that with our partners because everybody plays a role. And then I'm leading that within my own organization. So it really is, I mean, look, obviously one of the biggest macro factors happening in every business these days is the is the impact of technology and how we all adopt technology and use technology to transform the way that we work, whether it's looking at working more efficiently, whether it's looking at providing a, a better experience for our people or for our clients, or whether it's looking at how we can use technology to drive better solutions or even run our business better. It's impacting every aspect of our business. And technology has been doing that for a while, but today's technologies are becoming far more advanced. And today's digital technologies in particular, and the way that we can leverage things from robotics to artificial intelligence to even within you know, my organization using those technologies, but then marrying those up with some of the large platform-based technologies that exist today. All of that we have to look at and ask ourselves, can we run our business better? Can we change the way people work to make their experience better? Can we do all that to provide better solutions to our clients? And so we've been on a, on a significant digital upskilling journey where the first step in all of this was really how are we teaching all of our people? In the U.S., we have 55,000 people. How are we teaching all of our people about these new technologies? And what are we doing? What are the skills are we equipping them with so that as we roll out new technologies, they are well, they're well positioned to be able to adopt those technologies, use them, take advantage of them. In many cases, start pulling us along. So it becomes a pull by our people versus just a push by us. So we've been on that journey for the last two years and we've We've created a number of different programs, whether it's digital accelerators, so you can think of those as uh, super users or ninjas, if you will, that, that have deeper skills that help us do the skills that we embed in every individual, whether it's how to create, how to build bots, how to use RPI, how to use visualization technology differently, all of that. And now it's become viral. We have you know, people now are actually able to, on the ground, transform the way that we work in ways that even we weren't envisioned. And they're able to share that now through something we call the digital lab that we've created, which is really, I call it, I call it crowdsourcing for innovation, which is kind of what it is. It's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But because we've equipped people with all these skills, they now can transform the way that we work. And now we don't have to know the people best equipped to do that are the people on the ground and the people on the front line that know where the inefficiencies lie, that know where we could work differently. And by giving them the skills and capabilities and the, and the right way to do that, we're, we're transforming this organization. And it's amazing to watch it happen. Right. Where did you start this transformation? I mean, I talked to a lot of companies and a lot of marketers in particular, and it sounds like yours is across the entire enterprise that you're focused on this transformation. Like, did you start in terms of the services and, and services that you're offering clients and saying, how can we, how can we embed technology or use technology to, to make a bigger impact? I was just curious, like, where did you start and, and maybe why? What was the rationale to start there? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's always kind of hard to go back and, and try to determine what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? It was all kind of beginning to, to start at the same time. In our business, sometimes the cobbler's is kind of huge. Oftentimes, it's the stuff that you do on the front line for your clients, and it's where the, the biggest innovation happens because it's the business that we're in. And we, always, we don't always do a good job of bringing that back in into how we run our own organization. In this case, I would tell you that clearly those things were happening on the ground as we were looking at what we were doing for our clients and asking ourselves the question of how do we do that for ourselves. But I would also tell you that the mentality that we had is that if we don't scale that inside our own organization, we're running the risk of not being in a position to be able to continue to do those things for our clients going forward. So we really doubled down on our own 
organization internally and how are we improving our business and how we operate? How are we looking at how we create new solutions that we can take to market, how we innovate new solutions that we can take to market? And that's why we focus on embedding within our people those skills. And so when you when you focus on your people, you build the right skills within them. Those are your factors of production that you can then take out and use in multiple ways, whether it's how you serve a client, how you innovatively serve a client, or how you need to apply that internally and say, you know what, there might be a better way to do X, Y, or Z internally. So it, it, it did, you know, I would say the seedling certainly started on the front lines with what we do for our clients and kind of learning from that. But I would tell you that we rapidly scaled that internally such that now the focus internally on building it within our organization and making this learning organization has really overtaken that because that's where it all starts. And that's how we then are able to do what we do. Got it. And what is the vision? Like where do you have, um, I don't know, I'm making this up, but like a 2030 vision of where you want to be in the future and what that like future looks like? You know, it's funny. Uh, we often said, you know, it used to be five-year plans. You, you really can only have three-year plans now because it's uh, because the expectations are so high that you have to deliver within three years. So I would tell you, the vision now is what do we do to take all of that and create unique experiences for us? So how are we taking everything that we've done? So yes, our clients now expect us to be able to drive great solutions. That's just, that's the nature of the game. They expect our people to have these skills now. They expect us to be well-versed in all of them. But now the differentiation is how do you use all that to create unique, unique experiences for your clients? And that's across all of our businesses. How do you make that, that interaction with them better? How do you make it such that they want to work with us? Because anybody not anybody, but you got people can deliver solutions or the same solution, but they want to have a, we want them to have a better experience with us. So I'd say the focus is on continuing. We're going to continue the upskilling journey because if we all think that the technologies that we have today are going to be the same technologies in three years, they're they're going to evolve, right? So that upskilling journey will now be a lifelong thing. It's got to continue. And now it's how do we take that and create unique experiences for our clients so that the working relationship and how they experience this and how they work with us continues to evolve as well. That translates back into marketing. By the way, all the stuff I just talked about, you're right, we're doing it for the whole organization. But if you look at marketing, if you look at sales, if you look at communications, the technologies that are impacting us, being able to use artificial intelligence now as we think about how do we take in data now that's giving us a better read on the market and what the market wants and what the market's buying and how does that translate into the marketing campaigns that we need to be thinking about. All of that is taking place today within this organization because that's the future, especially in marketing. Marketing is a science now, and it, it very much is about using data, using analytics, using many of the tools that I talked about earlier to create better campaigns, to create more targeted campaigns, to create more personalized experiences for economic buyers in the market. And so that's how we're using all that to help us out in the firm. There's a ton of marketers in particular is our primary audience that are trying to lead some sort of transformation, whether it's a digital transformation or, or some sort of other initiative. I'm just curious if there's any advice that you'd give you know, peers and other companies that are working on this type of large scale change effort. Yeah. So first and foremost, you've got to be very, very clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish. And you can't just use technology for technology's sake. Like at the end of the day, you have to sit back and define what is it that you're trying to accomplish. And you have to use technology in a way that's going to get you there. It sounds obvious, but, you know, having also been in the business of helping companies through these transformations, it doesn't always happen. You've got to be very, very clear with people about what you expect. Like what's their role going to be in the change, what you expect them to do, and how they can contribute to the success of the organization. And then you've got to train them. You've got to take the adequate time to train them on the skill, on the on the technologies and the new skills you want them to learn and not just expect it to happen. We just finished, we had a what we call a marketing evolution, evolution conference. We brought together all of our marketers 
and we're rolling out a new uh, marketing automation technology that they're going to have to learn. And we took that opportunity to teach them through that process of how to do campaigns better. How do they do create personalized experience for clients better? How do they actually use data now to better inform our, you know, the stakeholders that they have from a business perspective on decisions that those stakeholders need to make to better position their business in the market? How do they use data to help them do that? And so it really starts with one, providing that that end game. What is it we're trying to accomplish? In our instance, is we're trying to grow our brand and we're trying to grow our business. We're trying to educate the market on things that we're doing today that we had never done before. And so they, they think of PwC1. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But we want to think of another way. And then it's about, so what are the technologies that we can implement that will help us do that? Whether it's getting the data that we need to help us better read the market and be more targeted in our, in our marketing and the experiences we create, whether it's using those technologies to help us collaborate and work better internally so that we're more efficient in what we do because budgets, marketing budgets today, if you look across most organizations, I mean, it's, it's up or down, right? We have to be good stewards of the money that we're given and we have an opportunity to work even more efficiently than we did in the past with that. So I can do more with less or the same than I, as I had in the past. And so using technology to do that. So making that clear connection between what are we trying to achieve in the market, bringing it back to what skills and capabilities and tools do I need to give our marketers to do that, then giving them the adequate time and training to learn those things and being very, very clear about what the expectations are, and then continuously reinforcing it over and over and over again. We've effectively, in the last three and a half years, been executing the exact same strategy. Now we're in different phases of that, and the things we do might be different, but we've been very clear and consistent in our strategy. So people aren't confused. We're not switching around. But what we are doing is giving them new tools and new ways of doing it so that they can get even more effective. Does that make, does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. I got two more questions related to PWC and what kind of what you're seeing. And then I want to switch gears a little bit. But so before we switch gears, first question is, where do you see the future of professional services going? I mean, the market has changed a lot, it seems like, in the last 10 years. 
you guys mentioned adding products to your arsenal, not just the services and human capital that you have. Where do you see it going? What does the future look like for professional services? Yeah, we're we're going to, we absolutely are, are going to continue to see the impact of technology in our business in this case. That is more technology enabled, whether it's looking at services that we provide today that we largely do with arms and legs and asking ourselves the question is this technology the way to deliver that solution in the future because we can't i mean the advancement of artificial intelligence and what's there and, and many of the other technologies that we we are using today so on the consulting side of the business the term asset is around for a little while but it's really becoming realized now and that's because our clients want speed to value and so looking at accelerators and looking at solutions that are now product-based versus just service-based that is the future and will continue to be the future. If you look at like our audit business is a good example, it's how are we using technology to, we're always a high quality audit business, but how do we use technology to be even, even be more high quality and to really, and really execute on the audit business or in the tax business where it's very rules-based. So how do you use technology to do that now? So that's the, that's the future of professional services. And to be clear, people will always play a big role in that because it's people that are on the front lines of the next trends. In it. And so that it really frees up our professionals to be able to focus on the next thing, to be able to focus on thinking more strategically and providing more strategic advice to our clients. So that really is the future of professional services, um, at least in the near term. Who knows 10 years down the line, but technology is going to continue to advance the way we deliver services, what we deliver in terms of services, how, you know, all of that is going to continue to come together. And that's what we're seeing in the market. But it's a really great future because it's industry. Any indicator would tell you that the services industry is continuing to grow. And I think you're starting to see a lot of convergence. You're starting to see a lot of different organizations come together in the space. But uh, you know, we're very bullish on the future of this industry and bullish on our organization's ability to capitalize on the future of this industry. I want to ask, like at a macro level, a client perspective, and what are the kind of top challenges or, or opportunities maybe that you're hearing from clients in, in 2020 now that we're starting a new decade. Just curious, because it, it, at a corporate level, the trends or the, the opportunities and threats that are out there, the challenges obviously are going to impact marketing. Um, just curious from your vantage point, it's rare that I have somebody that represents an organization that works with the enterprises of their clients. Yeah, you know, one of the obviously today, one of the biggest factors out there is, is sort of the political landscape that exists, right? Whether it's what's happened in Europe, and obviously we just had Brexit, and kind of how that's going to play out in terms of trade in Europe, certainly in the U.S. and the environment that we've got here, and we've had a number of different trade deals on the table, off the table, and what's happening here. You know, what business business works best in, a, in an environment of certainty, and if there's anything that we have today, it's a little bit of uncertainty, right? So I think that's one of the biggest near-term challenges. I think. Uh, CEOs and boards have to deal with is how do you navigate in a world today where you've got all of this change occurring uh, from political landscape and what's happening there. I would also tell you, you know, we talked a lot about the impact of technology on us, and, and that clearly is out there as well. I mean, it is disrupting business left, right, and center, and it's causing industries to begin colliding in many respects. And so you, you see that as another factor that companies are having to having to work with. It's how do we use technology differently? How do we look at it as a competitive threat if other, other companies are using it more effectively than we are? And the pace of business has certainly changed. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a dramatic, I would call it an acceleration of business, but also a complexity in business that exists that I think navigating that complexity is something that a lot of companies are working 
one of the biggest things that we see companies struggling with is how do you drive change at scale? We talk to a lot of companies about that because as we just talked about, we're driving our own change at scale. And so it is, it's how do you drive change at scale? Because if you got to react to these external factors and you need to get everybody moving forward in the same direction. And I think that's a challenge for many organizations. So it is, it is something that we're working on a lot. And I'll tell you the, the climate is definitely playing in now. There's no doubt that this is now front and center in boardrooms and it's impact on business. And depending upon what industry you're in, it's certainly, I think, impacting all industries today. And uh, I know it's top of mind of many of our clients, it's top of mind of us, not only the, not only in terms of what we need to do as an organization to look at our footprint and what we can do better, but also in terms of what it might mean for business going forward, the new risks that it introduces. And, uh, you know, that's a big conversation that we're seeing a lot of as well. Yeah, I mean, just listening to you talk, I mean, the, the ability to capture and, and act on an insight and Agility and speed is at a, a paramount, it seems. And these structural or competitive moats that large companies have had over the years, they don't exist anymore, largely. I mean, there's some obviously still out there, but it's a different world for sure. Yeah, it is. I mean, you do have to stay. Look, I'll tell you, the, the risk we all run is jumping around, overreacting to an indicator that's the risk we all run. I mentioned to you that the strategy that we're executing is the same strategy that we've been executing for the last three and a half years that we constantly evaluate. Now, the tactics that we use to execute against it might change as we learn, as we grow as an organization. But that, yeah, your risk we all run is overreacting to something when you really have to make sure you're focused on those trends that really are going to be long lasting. And, it's, you know, it's hard, but there's still plenty of Plenty of things out there that, that give you the indicators that you need. And by the way, there's a lot of past history. It's not that we haven't seen some of the stuff in the past. It's just that it's happening at a much more rapid than ever has before. I was, I'm at a meeting today and um, a, a person used this phrase, which I, I really am thinking about deeply today. And it, I think it relates to this conversation. Is, and I think they said it in the context of a lot of times how Japanese firms look at business and uh, this notion of go slow to go fast. And what they mean, I think what he was implying in, in the comment is making sure that you have your strategy set, making sure you know where you're going and making a decision and then not looking back like that. That is where you're going. You will get there. Go. <laughs> but this notion of in the U.S., and I think in, in Western cultures, it's fail fast, fail often and repeat. He was kind of trying to draw a contrast to that, I guess, in this notion of. Uh, yeah, something our chairman, Tim Ryan consistently emphasizes with us is is focus. I mean, it is, you know, once we've set a direction and we've landed on a course of action, it's how do we keep everybody focused on that? And as leaders, that's challenging, especially when I when I say what we did earlier, which is we we're giving people a lot of tools and we want to encourage them to be innovative and we want to encourage them to use those tools to help us better our business. But we also want them to do that in line with where we where the we want to go and the actions that we need to take. And, and I think that as leaders, it's you're right. Like it's we do need to move fast. We have to. We have to we have to be moving quickly. Life cycles are much shorter than they used to be. But in the context of that, we have to remain focused on the priorities that we've set out. And we have to find ways to keep everyone focused on those priorities. Because if we can execute at scale with everybody moving in the right direction, then the things that we can accomplish are, are limitless. And so that's that's what we try to do. And I think that's a challenge for many uh, senior executives today is how do you keep everybody focused in this environment of constant change and constant distractions, and constant new changes in technology, focused on what we need to do, but also ever evolving. That's a challenge. Let's switch gears. I love getting to know the person behind the microphone. And uh, my favorite question, frankly, to ask people is, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? 
You know, it's a great question, actually. I always go back to, um, you know, everything kind of starts, like I said earlier, you have multiple people that impact you and you've got multiple experiences that, that you take throughout your career. And every one of those are defining in some respect. But I always go back to like how I was raised and not to make it sound, I'm not trying to make this sound like really homespun or something, but I do look back to to how I was raised because I think it it matters a lot. I didn't grow up in a family where we were, you know, we had to work really hard. Let's put it that way. I mean, it wasn't, it was a very much a blue collar family and everything that we had, we really had to, to work hard to earn. And I think that's the first thing that really shaped me as, you know, my father at one point early on worked two jobs. I was the first person in my, in my immediate family to go to college. And, you know, my mom worked and they all pulled together. And I think that was an important lesson. It was, it was just sort of that the work ethic that, that they instilled in me. By the way, I also, they were equal partners. Like my mom and dad were like equal partners. And that really had a major impact on me because I've, I've always sort of viewed the way we work the same way. I mean, it, it's really everybody that we've got is important in the way we work together to achieve our goals. It's important. I also grew up in a very diverse community, a uh, very diverse community, both socioeconomic wise and, and from a uh, uh, from an ethnicity perspective. And that really imprinted on me because I just grew up in a diverse environment. It's just what you did. And everybody was the same to me in that regard. And I think that's really helped me today because in the environment that we're in today, diversity and inclusion is incredibly important. We mentioned the macro factors earlier and man, that's, that's a big one. I totally missed that when we were talking about that, but it's huge. And being able to, to capitalize on that diversity and, and be able to, like, I think we're a far better organization because we are diverse. So that, that really imprinted on me. So all of those things together helped make me who I am today. And I always joke, I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I always joke, you know, when you're kind of growing up, you're, you kind of run away from where you came from in a way. You always want to go out because you want to you create your own way. But, but I find myself more and more over the years running back to where I came from. Because what I'm finding is it's, it's that experience that really has flipped me well today, whether it was having to work hard to get through school and work, you know, work my way through school, whether it was growing up in an environment where I saw all things. I mean, you know, there wasn't anything that I wasn't exposed to growing up and seeing it living in a, in a home that was that was very loving. But we all had to work incredibly hard and to uh, and to still have that close knit family today is great. So all those things kind of shaped who I am today and prepared me to be, I think, um, it prepared me to be able to, to really serve this organization well. What advice would you give to your younger self, that person just starting out, if you will? Yeah, it's funny. It's a, it's a question because I was mentoring someone yesterday and, this, and I was telling this person the same thing. And there's a lot of different things I, would, I could tell myself. <laughs> there's a, like in anything, right? there's always stuff that you go back, man, if I'd only known this back then. But I think it all comes back to the, the power of, you touched on it earlier, it's mentors. And we all do this, right? Like we all say it, like mentors are really important. At least we should all say it if we don't, we should mentors and coaches and, you know, your colleagues and people that not only work, you work for, but actually work for you can all be very powerful in terms of their coaching advice. And, and my advice would be, don't forget that, like be very open to that always and be more actively seek that out even more because I found myself at times where we get really busy, right? And we're operating on periods of stress and those periods of stress can last for a long time, like leading organization, right? And you sometimes don't always spend as much time with those individuals or those groups of people as maybe you need. And maybe you're not always as open as you think you are to that advice. The advice I'd give myself is to always, always be open to that advice and not just be open to the, to the advice, but actively seek it out and leverage that because it's so important. And again, I, I think we all say it, but I think if we're all being honest and we really look back, there have been plenty of times where we've kind of gone in our hole and maybe not leveraged. 
No, that's great advice. Great advice. Two last questions for you, more marketing oriented, if you will. So I'm thinking that marketers or people that lead marketing functions and, and just business people in general, kind of students of what's going on around them and curious if there's any brands or companies or causes that you follow or, you know, you think other people should take notice of. Yeah. So, um, I won't mention specific brands just because of the business that we're in. And sometimes we, we don't like talking about specific brands. but <laughs> It's always tough for folks that have clients, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, why did you mention us in that or why did you not mention us? Yeah, you have to, you have to be careful with that. But so I would tell you there's, first and foremost, I think there's certainly, if you look at the technology industry, I stay on top of what's happening and evolving in the technology industry, because it, particularly around emerging technologies, because things that we might not be doing today and might not be doing a couple of years those things will will eventually get here, and we need to be we really need to be paying attention to those trends. And, you know, it's been a theme of what I've said, and I, I think that's especially true in marketing. Right? How are those? How's that going to impact us from a marketing perspective? I love to look at at many of the big brands, particularly in consumer products, because they're anything that's even though we're a B two B brand, I would tell you the way that we have to approach our economic buyer is becoming more and more similar to the way that a large brand is having to approach an economic buyer because, you know, mass advertising and things like that aren't as effective as they used to be. And I'm sure there'll be people that listen to me all that's wrong. But the reality is, is more targeted, uh, how you're targeting a, uh, an end consumer and how you're creating more personalized experiences is what's really starting to win the day. And that's very true in our industry as well. So I'm always keenly interested in, in what other industries, particularly consumer products industries, are doing to target individual buyers because there's a lot of noise out there. How do you get to them? How do you understand their behaviors and how do you really understand their needs in a way that you can target them almost down to the individual level? And I'm really interested in that. And so looking at those industries. Societally, as I mentioned, I, I'm paying a lot of attention to the impact of climate and sustainability and where it's taking us, because I think that's going to impact. It already is impacting business. I think it is going to continue to impact business. And by the way, I just think it's really important, right? I mean, just just the right thing to do. And I think we, we have to stay on top of those trends because I think those are things that are going to, if you look at the, the my kids' generation and what's coming up, I mean, they are much more in tune with this. That means they're also going to be very in tune with the decisions that they make in the future, whether it's buying a product or buying a service. And they're going to look at that and they're going to expect all of us as organizations to to be able to uh, demonstrate what we're doing from a sustainability standpoint, what we're doing from a social standpoint. So the ESG space, really important. And I think we all need to be paying attention to that because it's going to fundamentally shape those buyers, current, the current ones we have today, but certainly the ones in the future. And, you know, I am paying a lot of, you know, like I said, a lot of attention to what we, we always do. And this is always in the social round around diversity inclusion, because that, that also is going to continue to be something that impacts our industry and impacts business going forward. So those are the sort of big macro areas that I'm I'm definitely paying attention. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Last question for you: Where do you see the future of marketing? I'm guessing uh, more targeting and personalization based on your prior comments, but would love to hear you say it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think that goes without saying, and I think most people listening to this would say yes. That's hopefully obvious to everyone because that is true. And and the great thing about that is is the technology that's out there today is enabling us to do that in more and better ways than we've ever done it before. I also think the future of marketing is um, the days of kind of looking at at broad kind of broad swaths of marketing and the impact it's having an organization is are, are long gone. I mean, I think as marketers, we're going to have to continuously demonstrate the impact that we're making. We're going to have to continuously do that in very tangible economic terms. So if we run a marketing campaign, how did it result in more? Sales? If we run a campaign in our brand, can you show us where it really is? What's the return on investment on that, on the spend that we're making? And how is it really impacting the brand? 
And the good news is, is that the technologies that we're now using, that ability to really track the effectiveness of the campaigns that we run and the activities that we engage in, it's better than it's ever been. So as marketers, we all are going to have to continue to get better at using that data. We're going to have to be much better at understanding the, the real economic impact that we're having. And we're going to have to use that information to help justify the asks that we have for budget around the things that we want to do. And I know that's been out there, but I think it's becoming even more of a focus nowadays because more and more people are beginning to understand it and we've got a better ability to do it. So I think that's a trend in marketing that we're going to have to continue to, all of us are going to have to continue to get better and better and better at that. No, I agree. I agree. Well, Reggie, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been fascinating. Yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate it and uh, appreciate the very thoughtful questions. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart and this is Marketing Today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.